Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. Our guests right now have some technical difficulties working their way in. But in the meantime, I just want to thank you all for joining us. I'm wearing red, not not only due to uh, the season, but to remember all those deployed. Uh, The other thing, if you're joining us on LinkedIn for this live conversation, we do have uh, chat and questions and answers available. If you are joining us on YouTube, there's also live chat and question and answers available. And for those joining on podcast, um, this will be a audio only after submission. Um, for those on YouTube, thank you very much for subscribing and hitting the notification button. Um, in the meantime, one of the concepts that I wanted to talk about is what do you look for in your next role? I think oftentimes, um, oh, there we go. Um, I'll bring on our guest right now. Hey, Brian. And thank you very much for coming on. Um, that is the the interesting part of having a live show is that when things don't work out amazingly perfect, um, everyone can see. Uh, <laughs> but thank you for keep, for for continuously trying and uh, for coming on. So tell us a little bit um, about your background and how you made it to cybersecurity because. Really, this is just a, con- a conversation between me and you about your path and how you got here. One second. I really like your hat. I also have a hat. Can I put mine on? Sure. Okay. You can go put on your hat. <laughs> so in the meantime, while Brian goes to put on his hat, um, one of the things to look for that I was talking about with regards to your career is really what makes you happy. So cybersecurity is a really broad field. Many of us have come from different aspects of IT or in Brian's case, straight from big, straight from when he was a student into um, some aspects of cyber. So we wanted to hear his story. Um, what got you into IT and uh, cyber in the first place, Brian? So um, I was always passionate about helping people. Um, Initially, I wanted to try to help the world by pursuing a career in medical. Specifically, I wanted to do dental, and then I wanted to specialize in orthodontics. Um, However, um, I'm a first-generation college student, so I was the first in my family to go to school, um, which means that it would have been a lot of investment and cost for myself. So I decided that a career in the medical field might not be as... um, rewarding as something more practical like technology. And so given that I wanted to help others, um, I found a way to enter technology and I started out um, pretty much, you know, in help desk, customer service, troubleshooting type roles. And I did that for the duration of the time that I was in school, which is about six years. Um, And I was really fortunate to land my first internship with US Foods. It was out in Arizona. And then um, Mm -hmm. I was really lucky to land a second internship uh, in my second to last semester in university finishing up. Um, So it was really just kind of trying to hit the ground running and just to establish myself that I can um, at least mingle with customers and uh, keep the business running as usual. And um, 
produce a level of work that is acceptable for the business to continue. Um, given that I worked in kind of really large environments, uh, the first one was a large university environment for over 23,000 students. Um, <clears throat> that kind of really exposed me to the interest in IT and operations. And then I was really fortunate to have served as a uh, not a board member, but an, uh, an appointed board member for our student run club, Cal Poly Fast, uh, where I was director of operations for one year. And then the following year, I was also the co-director of blockchain research. And then for the final year um, graduating, I was just a security researcher. Um, I kind of tried to keep myself really busy. I did a lot of research on online forums, like what can I do to establish my career or how do I get myself to the next step? And a lot of people just said to put yourself out there, make sure you have at least a little bit of technical background and definitely try to demonstrate that you have some level of experience. And then I was just really lucky to, after graduating, um, I walked into a full-time role. Um, initially it was a threat detection engineer, uh, but now that's been changed to security engineering analyst. And I'm still currently there and I've really hit the ground running. It's a huge environment. Uh, we've got almost 70,000 employees and there's just kind of a lot to do. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's interesting because I don't consider myself in like, you know, the fun sides of security, like, you know, your penetration testing or your purple team or, you know, something more um, like strategized. I kind of just went in with a compliance, a little bit of experience in compliance and operations. And then um, I'm essentially the one to kind of just keep the lights on for our uh, company and our tools that we use. So but let's take a little step back before we talk about your current role um, oh, okay. and go to um, your, your time in university when, when you kind of made that decision that you weren't going to go down the medical route and you're you're, you're going into IT. Um, was that before you got to college? Was that during college? Um, like wh when did that idea form in your head? That's actually a really interesting question because that was a crazy time in my life actually. Um, that was during my first year of university. So from high school, I transitioned straight into a four year. However, I was not really fully prepared to be there. And so there were like a couple of remediation classes that I had to take and a couple of things that I had to get out of the way before I could actually enter a university environment. And so during that time, I actually also discovered that I was diagnosed with inattentive ADHD as an adult. Um, most of my life, I was able to get by because I guess I was just highly functioning. But when I got to college, there was really something that was not being met. And I just went into a really bad phase for my mental health. And I really started to turn that stuff around. And once I finally had my diagnosis of AD, ADD, um, I was able to take a transition from the university I was at, which was Cal State Fullerton. I transferred over to a, a community college, which was Mount Sac, Mount San Antonio College. And then I think two to three years after that is when I got to Cal Poly Pomona. So really what where it started was when I was in that community college system. And what motivated me was when I was at Cal State Fullerton, I saw that there was a computer lab and there were students working in the computer lab. And I would ask them, you know, how can I get this type of role? And they were like, unfortunately, we only hire engineering majors. And I was like, hmm, okay, 
<laughs> so I, I really uh, used that as motivation to try to get something else at Mount San Antonio College. And I did get a computer lab technician role. It was under federal work study. And I did that for about two years. And then I uh, really started getting into accessibility and compliance. I transitioned to another role at the same community college. Um, and I did that for a little bit. And then finally, I transferred over to Cal Poly Pomona. And then about a year and a half into Cal Poly Pomona, that's when I started uh, working for the e-learning department at Studio 6. Uh, that's more related to faculty support and technology mm -hmm. support. It's not specifically like IT, but it was just a little bit more IT. So I uh, tried to work for that role for another year and eight months. And then finally, I got a contact to the IT help desk. Um, I spoke to the person who generally recruits. I was kind of, you know, what can I do to get in? Is there anything I can do to help? Uh, are you guys hiring? And then they were like, no, 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 we're not looking. We only hire engineering majors. And I was really bummed out at that, but they saw that I had a background in accessibility and compliance for Mount SAC. And that's actually mm -hmm. what got me into that role. So, um, I guess what I could try to say, to, if anybody's watching, is just to really focus on your baby steps. Take steps to steps on getting yourself where you want to go. You might not jump straight into cybersecurity right now, but be very diligent in what you do, and eventually you'll get there. And then also um, try to diversify what you're doing. Don't have all your eggs in one basket, if that makes sense. So interesting. So you you took that GRC route into it. What, what what did you like about GRC that kept you motivating, even though you wanted to uh, kind of be on that IT side in the beginning? Um, I'm not sure I'm fully understanding what GRC is. I think that sounds like something more in the compliance realm of cybersecurity. Is that what it is? Yes. So GRC stands for Governance, Risk, and Compliance. Okay. So, yeah, I didn't really uh, get to do that kind of. Uh, work. Mm -hmm. It was more accessible materials for students that would have, you know, like a learning disability. Okay. Or if they were visually impaired, I would have to make um, a textbook that would read from them. And the tools that we use was mm -hmm. Kurzweil 3000. So my mistake, if I wasn't explaining that enough. Um, okay. <laughs> It was heavily focused on accessibility related to uh, folk who might struggle with uh, disability related needs. Um, uh -huh. So that was kind of like my first dip into what compliance was. You know, you have to meet a certain metric. You have to do this process in a certain way to get the product to the customer. And you have to make sure that everything is, um, I guess, within compliance, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> once I got into the more compliant stuff in cybersecurity, which is kind of what I do now. Um, I think they just saw that I had a little bit of exposure to what compliance was. And that's kind of what steered me into where I'm at. So my mistake, okay. I, I, I don't know much about GRC. It does look like a really interesting field, but I haven't had the opportunity to dip into it yet. No, no problem. So talk a little bit. Um in regards to your approach to job hunting from your last role um, and then to this role, like what was your process like? How did you approach your hunt? <laughs> um, <laughs> it, 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 it sounds really weird, but it is quite like a 
a treasure hunt. Like it's, you got to get yourself into the door. You got to find a way in. So um, I would say I used LinkedIn a lot to just kind of talk about my experiences while I was going through school and internships. Um, I was definitely very vulnerable in a lot of the things that I talked about. I tried to um, be very practical in what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to present myself online as. I definitely am not a perfect person and I'll never be a perfect person. So I hope that that, you know, helps others uh, not feel as overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a lot of networking. So if I saw someone in a role similar to what I wanted to do, I would connect in that specific uh, geographic area. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of events that I would attend that were provided by my university. But, you know, unfortunately, I guess maybe I wasn't one of the best of the best that they were looking at at the time. And so I wasn't really able to get in that way by just, you know, shaking hands with someone and like a cold call. But um there was a position and it was in my current role as a threat detection engineer. And I was eyeing that position for about a year and a half. And I was very fortunate that I had a friend who was an intern at my current role, uh, current company. And I had asked him a lot about what he did and how he liked his internship experience. And based off of what he had explained, I really uh, wanted to grab onto this one. And so uh, actually as a backup, my internship that I was working at the time was with Citizens Business Bank, and it was as an information security specialist. Um, and so my boss was actually going to bring me on full time, but it seems like there was um, an issue with the hiring freeze in that very moment. And so um, I got the approval from my other position that I ended up accepting. They had a job offer and everything. It was like the very first time I ever saw something like that. And I just I, I kind of talked to her about it and I showed her what the amount of pay and, and what, what I'd be doing. And she just went ahead and let me know. She was like, this looks like a good opportunity for you. I'm going to just ask you to go ahead and take it. And thank you for the work that you've done for us so far. So oh, nice. um, I've always had to keep myself in extreme modes of being busy. Um, you know, just given my like living situation at the time with family, it wasn't really the best environment for me at home. Um, but I think that's what really allowed me to have a competitive advantage against uh, maybe a lot of other candidates. Um, I don't have all of the certifications. I didn't have the best grades, but I did show them that this is what I did from this time to this time. And I think that they really liked what I had to offer and they took a risk on me and I'm really grateful. <laughs> So you mentioned that you were that you have this uh, drive to be constantly busy all the time. W what does that mean? Like, what did you do um, for that? Well, like, okay, so at the time, um, like while I was in school, I would go to, I would work a morning shift from you know like maybe eight to twelve, and that was during the help desk. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to class for two to four hours, uh, maybe like twelve to three, and then I would go, I would drive out in the Inland Empire to my internship for the bank, which was kind of oh, where, wow. I, where I lived near my house. Mm -hmm. I was really lucky it was near my where I was living. And then after that was ended, I would go back to school and finish my night shift from six to 10. So I had to kind of um, get a lot of my homework done like in the morning time. And then like in mm -hmm. the nighttime when I had that time from six to 10, uh, I was working in the library for the help desk. And so I would just answer students questions. If there was a printer that went out or went bad on the six floors of the library, we would maintain that. It was a very um, 
it wasn't a very intense role, but it was definitely relevant to what I wanted to do. Absolutely. It was a lot and... of a juggling, I guess. And, 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 and my apologies if I said that I was kind of working really hard because I know there's a lot of people that are probably working way harder than me right now. So I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> well, I, I don't think you said that you worked hard, but you said that you were constantly busy, which um, I think there's a difference, right? Because if you're, you, you could not be working, but researching all the time, you could be tinkering all the time, you could be doing different things. So that that's why I wanted to find out, like, what, what did you do to um, gain that competitive advantage you felt you had when you were interviewing? Oh, okay. So um, this is a lot related to more of the extracurricular stuff I did, like with the clubs on campus. On Cal Poly, there's three specific clubs. Um, there's one which is Cal Poly Fast, it's Forensics and Security Technology. Uh, Cal Poly Swift, which is students with interest in future technologies. And then there's Cal Poly MISA, which is, I believe, Management Institution Student Association. So those were all three kind of related to jobs in InfoSec, jobs in IT security, uh, cybersecurity, and they would have and hold a lot of workshops related to, like, for example, penetration testing, or they would have a workshop on Linux, or they would have a workshop on Kali Linux, or they mm. would talk a little bit about Python, or they would talk about the impacts of a buffer overflow and why vulnerability management is important. Um, we had some computer science students that would share what they know about their programming understanding and how they can use that and correlate it to malware analysis. Um, so it was a lot of different kind of events that I would attend, like during the weekends that the clubs would hold on and mm -hmm. host. And then I would start to pick up on the jargon and the uh, cybersecurity terms and the theory. And then also I tried to pair that a lot with listening to podcasts. Um, one of them I always talk about is the Cyberwire. I think that's very popular. Another one that I've recently got into and I really enjoy is the CISO series podcast. And I believe, Christoph, you also have a podcast as well, right? Well, you're on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yay. I thought it was more like a YouTube. Uh, uh, same thing. Uh, we, we stream live to YouTube. Um, we, we're live on LinkedIn. And then we post the podcast when you're done. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes uh we've been doing it for the past three years and sharing stories like yours um to to help inspire the next generation that's coming down um so earlier you mentioned that one of your intern friends at the company that you're working for told you about the role um were they the one that introduced you to the hiring manager or did you apply and um that you got picked so with the role that they were working, they were more working with Splunk SimTool development. Um, mm -hmm. And they were kind of like to the left of what my current department is. However, he knew the the, the manager who hired him. Um, I had sent out an email. I think it was like eight at night in one of my um, programming classes. It was a web development class. And I guess so he ended up being on the other side of the world, which which was Japan. So when he got that email, it was actually the morning time for him. So it was like the first email that got to him. And then finally, he had mentioned, he was like, I see that you've been really trying to get into this role. I'm going to go ahead and pass on your resume to the hiring manager. And then at the time, um, I guess it was just a, a, a leap of faith, a, a 
measure of luck because they had an intern that they were intending to do the role that I'm doing now, but that intern decided to decline it. So I guess they needed to bring someone else on immediately. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess the, I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, networking is really helpful, but also try and do a little bit of your research in your, uh, uh, adventure, but you know, don't be too rude. Don't be too invasive and just always try and keep like a professional demeanor when you're engaging with others. Uh, did you discover the email for that hiring manager through, through like open source intelligence stuff that you found online <laughs> or did your, your, your internship uh, colleague uh, give it to you? Just he passed, he passed. It oh, okay. He, yeah. Okay. He, he forwarded me his, <laughs> Information, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, totally there, there's different ways, right? Yeah, no, there's, there's different ways because <laughs> some some um some hiring managers might post their email on their uh, LinkedIn profile, right? And if you know to look on their profile for their information, um, that's usually hidden, right? And until yeah. you connect with them, it and it's still hidden at that point. Um, you can't reach out to them directly via email. So I didn't know if that. Yep. That was an approach you use, so that's why I figured I'd ask. Um, okay, so you, you shift into this this role. How do you get up to speed with it, um, being, say, the first role doing something like this? Um, what are the ways that you keep up? So I actually thought that I was going to be a lot more worse off than I actually was. But um, I previous to this role, I was always working with different tools and technologies. Um, they weren't as, you know, fancy as what you would see in, in like a seam or something like that. But I, I, I had a base understanding of like Microsoft Office. I had an understanding of ServiceNow, which is like a ticketing system tool. I had an understanding of like, you know, HP Service Manager, which is another system, uh, ticket system tool. Um, I've always, you know, worked with GUI type applications in the computer since I was little. So I kind of know how to navigate and point around. And then I guess um, having that confidence of being on the phone with a customer and then being able to kind of like point and click or to sometimes if I have to remote into their desktop to get them where mm -hmm. they need to go. Um, a lot of the tool that we use right now is Tufin, uh, Tufin Orchestration Suite. It's a SOAR tool. Um, and it's a lot of point and click. It's not really very much GUI. I mean, it's not very much CLI or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, since what I do right now is predominantly for firewall recertification, um, the way I started was learning how to assign a task, how to reassign a task, and then how to focus on updating the metadata. Uh, the business unit, they'll put in a firewall request. And then one year from that, the request will become a firewall recertification. That's where I have to step in. Our system will automatically generate tickets that become due for recertification 60 days in advance. We have a script that picks uh, and groups a bunch of tickets. And then I have to, for that month, get all of those tickets assigned to the corresponding business unit. Um, on top of that, a lot of our firewall rules were not uh, fully labeled properly. So I had to help a lot with the documentation aspect on it and getting the rules tagged with what we call is a GSI mnemonic that represents the system that the rule is related to. Um, so it, I guess starting out, it was a lot of kind of shadowing my boss and my lead and understanding how she communicates with the business units to get us to the next steps of getting these rules certified. Um, and then from there, after a few weeks, I kind of 
uh, took it on my own and treaded the water lightly. But for the most part, I understood what I was doing as the, I guess the role was considered entry level, even though I would see it more as junior level. Um, there's also trainings that are offered from Tufin, um, and I've taken a few of those, although I haven't had all of the time to. But um, right now I'm actually completing two more trainings in Tufin uh, just to kind of understand the unauthorized revision process a little bit better because that's a little bit wonky and my boss wants me to get into that in the next year. And um, a little bit more of change management related uh, tasks. Absolutely. And I mean, I mean, I, I love that you stepped up and kind of took it on yourself and th there's something to be said for doing documentation, right? Um, everyone yeah. hates documentation. And yes. if, if you're someone that loves to document, like you'll be loved in every environment because everyone hates doing it and they'll always try to push it down. And if the new person loves to do it, you'll end up knowing so much more of the system because you've been documenting it than anyone that's been there relatively close to you in the same span of time. Um, so I absolutely love that. Um, so we're, we're approaching the end of the, the half hour. As you think about um, your, your journey to now and you had to summarize your advice, um, looks like you have a, a fan here, um, Brian Leon saying hello. Um, how would you summarize your your journey into one piece of sage advice for someone that might be following in your footsteps that may or may not have um, ADHD? Like I, I know I have I have something similar, so I I know what it's like to like constantly be wanting to doing to do something. So um, like, how would you summarize your advice? Well, I wanted to. First, just take a second and talk a little bit about neurodiversity. Um, I'm not fully attuned to the topic, but I'm aware of what it is. And I think it's really important mm -hmm. for companies to realize that some of their employees might have learning disabilities. That doesn't mean that their employees don't have talent or that doesn't mean that their employees are incapable. It just means that they do things in a little bit of a different way. And that actually might help them get ahead. Um, this whole idea of diversity and having different mindsets, getting a task completed. I think it's really important that we embrace onto that because those folks that can hyper-focus and get, you know, 1,000 tasks assigned in a matter of a few hours, that is beneficial. And those folks that might have to do a lot of manual work starting out as they learn more about Python to get that automated, um, well, the fact that they're doing all of that groundwork, that gives them a foundational understanding of what is going to be required in their environment. Going back, <laughs> sorry, I'm changing <laughs> no subject. If I could say one thing, it's to not be so hard on yourself, because I think I was really hard on myself in a lot of facets in my life. And it really impacted me in a negative way to not be as confident as I really should be, given that I've already done some stuff for so long. So just don't don't be don't be so hard on yourself to where it can be volatile. If you are going to be hard on yourself, look at it with rationale and logic and take your weaknesses and um, use that as an opportunity to be proactive in getting yourself to that more proficient level in whatever you might be lacking in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, imposter syndrome is something that definitely uh, affects us all. So, um, 
Brian, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. Really appreciate your advice for those that might also be following in your footsteps. And even if you're one step ahead of someone, you, you can help them. And I appreciate you coming on and giving back. Thank you, Chris. And I really 